And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> started doing that. It totally, it made a, it makes a huge difference. Like you start going to the conferences, everybody knows who you are, your little pictures in the column that everybody reads every week. And yeah. you get there and you're basically a minor rock star. like oh geez I'm, I'm good at a lot of things or i like a lot of things which one do i pick and becomes a little bit becomes a little bit torturous and honestly i think you should just like pick one and go with it because it's not forever that's my guest jonathan stark talking about the paradox of choice that talented flexible technical consultants often face jonathan mentors other consultants and helps them with difficult issues like positioning attracting the right clients and implementing value-based fees I spoke with Jonathan about his own journey of positioning in his business. I'm Philip Morgan, and this is the Consulting Pipeline Podcast, where we talk about building your consulting pipeline through positioning, education-based content marketing, and marketing automation. Hey, Jonathan. Hello. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Jonathan Stark. I'm a mobile consultant based in Providence, Rhode Island, and I help retailers with their mobile strategy training and general consulting needs. Nice. So um, I want to kind of help listeners understand where you are in the process of, of having a focus for your business. Mm-hmm. Um, so as of today, it sounds like you focus on retailers, um, you offer them mobile consulting, and how do you do that differently than, than other people who might be doing something similar? Um, well, one of the big things is that I don't bill by the hour. So when people... Uh, partner with me, we have a, they, they know ahead of time how much it's going to cost so they can make a value judgment mm-hmm. in advance. A lot of people will say just sort of like bill by the hour. And that means that the client is always watching the clock when they, they are talking to you. And if they, they're thinking, Oh, I'd love to ask Jonathan this question but they, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if my boss is going to complain about the expense. So I don't work like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it puts the two parties at odds and I, instead I just give like flat rates and people can uh, get in touch with me as much as they want whenever they think it's important. And Mm. I think that makes a a better long-term relationship. So how did you get started in business or, or get started working for yourself? Um, The previous main stage was that I was the uh, vice president of a boutique software consulting firm based in Atlanta. They had offices in Atlanta, Chicago, and San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And I was in the Atlanta office, and we were doing this sort of typical time and materials, uh, hourly billing, Mm -hmm. where, you know, clients would come in, and we would estimate a project, and we'd assign some developers to the project. They They would work on it. They would track their hours. We would send invoices weekly, et cetera, et cetera. Right. At some point, we uh, it was my job to make sure that, as the vice president, to make sure that the cash flow was good so that, you know, when payroll came around at the end of every month, we had money. And, uh, oh, you know, so my job basically amounted to constantly hounding developers to put their hours in, That's building great. reporting systems to make sure that we were on track throughout the month. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it was just administrative stuff constantly, and then you know I would send out invoices, and if anybody ever complained about an invoice, which was not unusual, because mm-hmm. you'd send out these hours reports, and people would read them, and they'd be like, "How come it took so long to do this this week, but not last week?" And right, so it was just constantly in email and on the phone dealing with hours on one mm-hmm. side of the fence or the other, and we got into you know we got had a tight period financially, and 
we didn't end up having to do it, but it was like, well, what if we had to lay someone off? Who would, who would we have to fire? And I looked at the list and I was like, God, we're going to have to fire our best guy mm. because he's the most expensive and he was super fast. We mm-hmm. could barely keep him busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then our, our weakest guy is a junior guy who's almost like a level above an intern, made half the salary and took maybe four times as long to get things done. We're billing him out at the same rate. And his customers were happy as clams because he was a really nice guy. Mm. So I was like, I can't, this can't be right. And I struggled with it for about a week. And then finally I realized that hourly billing was the problem, which is a long way of, of answering your question, which is that at that point I said to my boss, like we, we, this is the whole problem. Everything that's wrong with our business is because we're billing by the hour. And he listened to me and I think mentally he understood what I was saying, but he just couldn't get his head around how we would make the transition and all that. Mm-hmm. So I said, all right, I'll put my money where my mouth is. And I went solo and started my own um, solo consultancy where so, I did not build the hour. Nice. What were you offering at that point when you first went solo? The consulting firm was a FileMaker consulting firm, mm-hmm. which is like a desktop database package that Apple has. Um and it's a great, great thing, but I wanted to move on from it. I really wanted to get more into the web. And um, so what I did when I went solo was uh, I had a fairly high profile in the FileMaker community, which is not a big community. And I knew I was jumping into a much bigger pond being, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking, okay, I, I have a reputation as a FileMaker developer. Uh, I was writing articles. I had uh, spoken at the annual conference and you know, it was well known. And I, so I left the, the firm and I said, okay, I, I want to be a web developer, but I, I'll, I'll go out of business in the first six months if I do that, if I just right. jump to that, because all my FileMaker cred will disappear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fortunately for me, FileMaker around that time had released something called the FileMaker API for PHP. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, okay, I'm going to be the, the FileMaker web dude. So I, I'm going to leave one foot in the old world and put one foot in the new world. And I'm going to be the go-to person for anybody who wants to build a website that has a FileMaker backend. And that worked perfectly. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I mean, you would the FileMaker community is small. And so you might think niching down to just the subset of clients who also happen to want a website would not leave a big enough pool of interest but it totally did and yeah it was great so in my notes i wrote down a little venn diagram on the one side was your desire to do something related to the web on the other side was this um demand right and is that kind of how you thought about it you you were looking for both something that was interesting to you and something that could uh keep paying the the rent or the mortgage it well Yes and no. It was more, I'd say the one side of the Venn diagram is yes, the, I wanted to be in the web. That was where I wanted mm-hmm. to be for sure. And the thing I didn't, the thing that I didn't want to give up was my street cred. Right. Okay. So the reputation is the other one. So at, uh, at that point in your career, what was your street cred doing for you in terms of getting you work? Uh, when it was just FileMaker, it was getting some work for the company I was working for. So I was, I was writing a monthly column in the trade magazine, FileMaker Advisor. Mm-hmm. I was speaking at the annual conference regularly. I think I think one year I spoke twice at the same conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I answered questions on my website. I, I had a lot of I had a lot of pull in that community. It was right. 
Okay. I was well known. Okay. So, but it didn't do a ton for me. Huh. So it, the reason I'm, I, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, I was well known in the community, but it didn't really get me that much business. Right. Once I, once I, um, made it known that my focus was that I was going to be the FileMaker web guy. Cause there was only like one or two other people who were well known for that in the whole world. Um, so I knew like, Oh, okay, I can, I can, I can play at, at this level. Mm-hmm. Um, the what things just started happening like magic hmm. so i i was like you know how was how does someone start focusing on this like well what i would do is when i when my filemaker advisor article was due i would always make it focused around the the php api so it was always web focused hmm. um i then i would sneak in some javascript cuz mm-hmm. people people in the filemaker community aren't really web developers but if you show them like little javascript tricks they can get it and um it was, it's fun. People can play around with it. And there were a lot of webby type of things happening in FileMaker at the time. So it was, it wasn't too far afield, but it was definitely unusual. Uh, then I would blog about it. Um, and then before you know it, I just get a random phone call, um, about from, from a publisher from Sam's publishing. They were like, Hey, we want to, uh, publish a book on the FileMaker API and your name's at the top of the list. So you want to do it? Mm. And wow. I, yeah, they had seen my blog and they had read some of the articles and I was I was the obvious choice. The other two people who who were well known for it inside of the community were not well known outside of the community. Mm. So you wouldn't find them. Like you'd find them on a mailing list. They would be very, very prominently um, participating in mailing lists, but mm-hmm. that's not a public facing thing. So, uh, you know, so mm. I got the call. Interesting. So uh, did you do this as an explicit strategy? You know, this oh, yeah. idea mm-hmm. of focusing? 100%. It how, was totally conscious. How did you know that that would work? I mean, why did you place a bet on focus as opposed to betting on, you know, being a generalist? I didn't see another way to do it. Oh. So I guess it was just intuitive. Okay. I knew I knew I couldn't just jump straight to web. I would have no contacts. I'd have no street cred. Mm. No one would listen to me. I wouldn't be writing for a magazine. There is is there even a magazine for the web? You know, it's like it was just a huge. I was I was going from being a big fish in a small pond to being like a minnow in the ocean. Right. <laughs> so I was like, that's that doesn't seem you know. And I was paying a mortgage. I had a house. I had responsibilities, and it was I couldn't just like take a giant leap of faith and take a year or two to build up some kind of weird web firm. This is before phones too, by the way. This is before smartphones. What, so, uh, what year are we talking about here, roughly? Like, like 2006. Okay. 2005, 2006, right around there. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that I had in my benefit was I was 100% sure that I wanted to be doing web stuff. And I talk to a lot of people when I'm mentoring them. They don't even know what they want to do. They're just like smart technical people and they're like, well, I kind of like JavaScript. I kind of like Node, but on the other hand, I kind of like email marketing, and I kind of like Redis, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay, so we, we need to we need to pick something. I'm like, well, I'm smart. I can do anything. I'm like, yeah, but you can't attract customers that way. You need to come up with a way to attract customers, and then you can continue to do whatever you want, but you need to focus your marketing to attract customers. Is that a dynamic that that you saw firsthand where? You had a broad interest, but you you chose to focus on just a subset of that in your marketing. Absolutely, yeah. So at a certain point, um, I had I can remember a point where I had I had been blogging for a while, and I had stuff on my site that was straight straight up FileMaker stuff. Mm-hmm. 
that um, I took off. Ah. Like I, I threw away. Right. So, um, well, actually, I archived it. People still email me about it, believe it or not. But huh. um, yeah, it's unbelievable. So, so yeah. So it was it was extremely conscious. I found that that um, you know, a blog is marketing. Your website is marketing. Uh, if you do a podcast, it's marketing. And in those in those areas, I would I would just be as focused as possible on the specific thing, and that has like all sorts of benefits, mm-hmm. like all the way around. Like you can't even imagine how many benefits, because things just start to magically resonate with each other. Mm-hmm. Where like oh, you get quoted by you know you get quoted by whatever the Wall Street Journal as the FileMaker web guy and then people click on the link or they go to your site and they're like everything there is FileMaker web, FileMaker web, FileMaker web, FileMaker web. The third party validation of a big publication printing your name as thing Mm -hmm. is then massively validated when someone comes to your site and has all, you know, maybe you have an education center or a knowledge base or a blog and it's all tightly focused on, um, on this particular thing, then it's like, wow, that's, this guy is obviously the guy that we need to hire. Did potential clients ever say basically that? You know, did they say, wow, we're really impressed with your website? In other words, when you put yourself in their shoes, how did that work for them to see that kind of consistency in your message? Um, I think it's, it happens. It's a two-level two level thing. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're trying to impress people at different levels. Um, impress, convince, whatever, whatever right. it is, position here's how it worked with me was the blogging got me the book deal. And once I had the book, that's what the customers saw. Okay. So the customers were like, we've got your book. We need exactly what you wrote about. Um, we don't have time to implement it ourselves. Can you just come in and do it? Uh, so the, so the blogging convinced the publisher that I was the guy. And then the book convinced the clients that I was the guy. You mentor people around these I mean, the whole pie of running a consultancy, but this, I know one of the slices of that pie that you talk about is, is positioning. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen people get the same kind of result without a book? Or, yes. I, I mean, get a, a result they're happy with. Let me put it that way. Yeah, maybe not the same kind of result. Writing a book is still, still has this sort of magical fairy dust. And I've written two since then, and mm-hmm. the same, same thing happened. Yeah. You know, when I, when I shifted from, from FileMaker to Web, then I shifted straight to web, took all the FileMaker stuff completely off my website and went straight web. And right around the same time, the iPhone came out and I was like, "Mobile, I'm the mobile web guy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I just did everything like that. And boom, next thing you know, I've got a book deal for an I- building iPhone apps with HTML. Nice. So it, it, it works great. And so to your question, um, if you don't have a book written if you, or if you don't have time to do it or you don't have someone who um, is knocking on your door to have you write one, I guess I have two things to say about that. One is that it's really not hard uh, to get a book deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're you talking about with, a, with a, like a conventional publisher or an industry-specific publisher. Sure, like O'Reilly or, yeah. or you know, someone, um, right. maybe a list of whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not talking about, a, you know, Simon & Schuster. I, you know, <laughs> right. I'm talking about a technical book, you know, for, yeah. for uh, a nonfiction book for a traditional publisher okay right um it's not too hard to 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 get up to put together a proposal you don't have to write the whole book for crying out loud uh, but anyway um so but if you don't do that or if you don't want to do that you don't like writing um i think uh, speaking 
doing speaking gigs is hugely beneficial. So mm -hmm. if you don't mind going up on stage in front of people, um, that is that is probably my number one source of leads um, that turn into big. That's my number one source of big leads. Can you Speak. speculate about why that is? I mean, is it because when you're speaking, you're kind of working without a net and only people who are confident in their subject are willing to do that? Or what do you think it is about speaking that's so powerful? I would say if you're selling consulting services of some kind, I, I'm imagining this. I'm imagining this. I don't know this for sure. But mm -hmm. I imagine that it's because they get a sense of what it's like to work with you. Ah. And you and and the people in the audience who are nodding their heads and just totally grooving on your message, if they need a service that you offer, they will almost surely come up to you after the fact and mm -hmm. give, give you their card or whatever. So you, it's, it's just so much easier to connect with people in person. That sounds stupid to say, but um, it's super, super easy to connect with people. And it's that kind of a business where um, trust is everything because mm -hmm. they're making big bets with lots of money uh, that are long-term They'll have long-term ramifications on their organization. So without trust, it's hard. Uh, it's hard. It's not the kind of, not the kind of, you can't be a consultant like cold call people. It wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, so I think that, I think speaking is the next big one after that. If you can't quite get that together or, you know, because having a book leads to speaking gigs. So it's kind of a chicken or egg problem. Um, meetups is another great thing to do. Uh, you could smaller scale, you can do podcasts. It's, um, that's a, a good way to create a sort of it's it's one way unfortunately but people do when people come up to you after listening to your podcast for a while it's almost creepy how much they know about you and how well they know you um <laughs> right. it's it's surprising so i've like i've met people whose podcast i listen to and it's almost like you're almost starstruck in a way and yeah. i've had the reverse happen for people who listen to my podcast where they're just like whoa i can't believe i'm talking to you you know Right. I, can't believe, I can't believe we're interacting. I'm used to listening to you. Right. Um, so that's a good thing. Webinars is another good thing. Um, I do free web webinars for O'Reilly every month that get, you know, hundreds and thousands sometimes of people that come in and, and will listen to your shtick. And so now, so all of those things we just talked about, books, podcasts, webinars, meetups, all of this stuff. If you're doing some of them about I don't know, FileMaker and some of them about iPhones and some of them about mobile. It doesn't all tie together. Mm -hmm. They'll, they'll never, they don't resonate with each other. It doesn't create, it doesn't create like this, um, there's no this additive effect, right? Yeah. They just, they're just one off things that are kind of a waste of time. Right. And if they are all kind of around the same topic or at least angled to the same audience in the same topic, you know, it's like a technical topic specifically for retailers or if you do like a, you know, no JS for anybody, mm -hmm. no JS for beginners. I mean, uh, it, and if you do that everywhere, you hammer that message everywhere, then they'll also, it'll start to, it'll start to gel together and you'll attract clients. Once those clients come in the door, then you can potentially take them in different directions. But if your marketing is specifically around the one thing, it has a huge, um, it's like greater than the sum of the parts if you're always talking about the same thing. Yeah, I'm struck by um, this one quality in what you said, which is that it really is about how quickly your marketing builds trust, right? If you're selling consulting or, or professional services, it's not necessarily is the, is the medium you're choosing the best way to spread ideas. Uh, because for that, I think writing is often um, 
people consider writing the kind of go-to way to spread ideas. But if you're trying to build trust, you maybe evaluate how you do your marketing a little differently. Yes. And, and, and people here, audiences, um, audience members are predisposed to be more open to one medium or another. Mm -hmm. You know, some people listen to a lot of podcasts because of their lifestyle, you know, they commute a lot and it's just like, you know, it's like they're, I'm riding in their car with them every week. Um, or, you know, some people are, you know, it's just different. Like Mm -hmm. I I haven't had time to read a book since I've had kids. Like I listen to (laughs) audiobooks now exclusively. Right. You know, because I can do that while I'm doing the dishes or changing a diaper or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, I, I think you, I, I don't think you should just pick one. I mean, if you are horrible at public speaking or you're like horrified and have terrible stage fright, then that's one thing. But, you know, you might want to avoid certain ones, but there, you know, I can think of, you know, 10 or 12 marketing channels that, that you should be hitting on at least five or six. Right you know, to get the, the broadest possible exposure. So when you, when you picked your focus on, on mobile web, mm-hmm. were there any uh, kind of unexpected side effects of doing that? Or did you have like a freak out you had to get over because you felt like you'd pick something too narrow? No, no, not at all. It, but I know that I'm unusual in that regard. So um, when, like literally when I watched the keynote when Steve Jobs walked on stage and announced the iPhone, I was like, that's what I'm doing, full stop. Like I had, I just had that, I've been like that my whole life. Like I get into, I see something and I just, it instantly clicks with me. I want to do that. It was, mm-hmm. you know, it was in junior high, it was karate. In high school, it was guitar. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it was computers after that. And it, you know, it's like one thing after another. And I just right. get obsessed with it. And uh, when I see it, it's obvious to me. So I, but that is not the case with everyone. I know yeah. a lot of people are like, oh, geez, I'm, I'm good at a lot of things or I like a lot of things. Which one do I pick? And becomes a little bit, becomes a little bit torturous. And honestly, I think you should just like pick one and go with it because it's not forever. I mean, I did the FileMaker thing for like three or four years and then I did FileMaker web for like two years. And then I did uh, mobile web, mostly development and stuff like that for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And now just doing like, uh, almost all strategy. I do a little development just to make sure my skills are still mm-hmm. sharp and my advice is accurate, but, right. um, it's mostly, uh, side projects or, or huge projects that I'm working with friends and I'm just doing like a particular piece. And I'm, in the meantime, I'm kind of fly on the wall for like a gigantic project. Right. You have mentoring clients though. What do you tell them when they have that kind of uh, you know, the gasoline of self-doubt gets thrown on this fire of of a legitimate concern that they they might pick the wrong thing or they might pick a niche that's, that can't support their business because it's not big enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to start small, basically, um, and maybe come up with a particular product that they want to promote to a niche. So, like, let's mm-hmm. say you have an idea. Let's say your idea is, I don't know, um, iOS medical apps or something. So at iOS apps for, okay, here we go. iOS apps for a uh, dentist office. So like, so the internal, so a dentist office would hire you to do iOS development for them or ha- you'd have products for dentists where you do, um, you do things to support dentists using mobile technology. Mm-hmm. So, but in the meantime, you're just a general iOS developer and you have like a website where you advertise yourself as like a, a generalist doing mm-hmm. iOS development, which there's like, two billion of those, right? Right. 
there's not two billion of them that do it for dentists, but maybe you don't have the you don't believe that there are enough dentists out there who need you know office management apps in iOS or whatever. Right. So you could come up with some kind of product. It could be anything. It could be um, any kind of expertise you have around dentists. You know, maybe your father was a dentist or something, and you know a lot about dentists, and that's why you picked it in the first place as your test niche. Mm-hmm. And so you come up with some product for them. It could be a report. It could be um, a consultation. It could be, uh, I don't know, it could be anything. It could be a product. It could be a particular app. And you uh, just have that on a page in your site. Maybe you don't even link to it from the primary navigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you try and you, you th- this is the thing that, that, that is the, a huge difference between being a generalist and a specialist that is really hard to describe. Mm-hmm. But when you are a generalist, you don't know where to hang out to find customers because they're everywhere. Everyone's a potential customer. Right. But if your potential customer for this one test thing is a dentist, you can find places online where dentists are hanging out. You can find places in the real world where dentists are hanging out. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're, like I said, maybe your father's a dentist and maybe that's why you picked the niche. So you can, you can find actual customers to give you feedback about this idea, about this product you can start creating a list of dentists that you are going to, you know, market to. Mm-hmm. You can send them valuable information in your mailing. Well, you could have like a drip campaign where you're sending them information. And you'll see, you just can't, it's like night and day. All of a sudden, when you go back to your generalist business, you're like, I don't know what to do. Like, have you ever had the experience where you you are looking at your web page, you're like, oh, I'm going to make a website and I need to, this particular page, I need to write something on. And your language gets so vague and and weaselly that you don't even know what you're saying. Right. It's, and you, it's, and you, because you, yeah, <laughs> it's because you don't know who you're talking to. Right. You're talking to everyone. Right. So you can't, you can't make a compelling statement if you're just talking to everyone. You need to know something about your crowd. Like even when I go to do a speaking gig, I do everything I can in advance to find out even roughly the level of, of um, technical acuity of the people in the room so that I don't talk over their heads and I don't talk down to them. Mm-hmm. And, and that means talking to the organizers ahead of time. If it's a private thing, I try, and, I, I try and have them all fill out a questionnaire ahead of time. When I come to a gig and I'm completely cold, I'll just talk to the people in the front row while people are filing in and ask them why they're there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how specific to be, you know how technical to be, and it's the same thing with this. So if we're focusing on dentists, I can speak in their language about their concerns on my site, and I can explain how this test product is going to alleviate those concerns or make them more money or have fewer cancellations or whatever the thing is. I believe that when um, when people get specific enough, they can actually build a list of names of people who could hire them, not just of types of companies, but, you know, they can go on LinkedIn and search for like a job title within an industry vertical and actually build a list of people. Yeah. And from a business development perspective, that's a whole different ball of wax than saying, well, you know, we need to sell more hours of our time to whoever will buy them. Right. And that's when you find yourself buying like AdWords or or doing like weird stuff where you're just throwing stuff up against the wall and hoping that someone sees it. And, you know, it's like you see, you just, you just see it all the time. You know, you see like some company who is a generalist companies, their their taglines are always hilarious. 
you know, you go to a generalist site and it's like, I, I don't want to call out people that I, there are like ones that I have memorized that are specific friends of mine that I don't want to call out. <laughs> yeah. That they're would... just like, they're just silly and they're, they're meaningless to anyone except for the, the company that wrote it because they're like, Oh, this is perfectly vague. Yeah. They're, they're, they infuse this, uh, sense of enthusiasm with something that's so uh, watered down and, and you know, <laughs> yes, and broad. Totally. We are passionate about solving people's problems. Well, no kidding. Right. And Everyone has yeah. problems. I don't know. As a customer, I don't know if your passion for solving problems can do anything for me. Right. But if I come to your site and it's like, like I'm a, if I'm a dentist and I come to your site because you sent me an email and it says, are you having a lot of cancellations? That stinks, right? I can fix that. I right. mean, that's like, I, I decrease the number of cancellations dentists have. Yeah. Like, you know, as soon as you get to that site, if this is the site for you or not. And that's what scares generalists is that a lot of people are going to not, they're going to say, no, nope, this is not for me. Yeah. Yeah. If you read um, some of the guidance from copy hackers on, on copywriting, one of the things they say in, and it's it's not in the fine print really, but I think it should be a headline is eighty percent of the people who see uh, a sales letter that um, is well written will bounce immediately. And an eighty percent bounce rate rate on a website is kind of horrifying to people who look at it from a data perspective. Mm-hmm. But that can actually be a good thing <laughs> because um, it means that your message is specific and it's speaking about a painful problem that twenty percent of the visitors have. That may be all you need to set yourself up for years of, of a solid pipeline. Yes, I agree. And it does raise another point about my the way I run my business, which I think there are a lot of parts of my business that fit together in a particular way that make it work. Mm-hmm. And one is that I have no employees. Right. And I've never had any employees. That was part of the thing when I went solo. I was like, I'm not going to have employees. I'm going to build uh, value-based fees style billing. I'm not going to build by the hour. Do you, do you use subcontractors or rarely, okay. rarely generally uh, when I've done that, I've been unhappy with the way it's worked just from a, from a lifestyle standpoint. Sure. And what I prefer to do instead is just refer the business to people who I'm friends with that I trust that yeah. can do work and yeah, that yeah. ends up going for a full circle eventually. So, um, but I have done that on occasion. I do it sometimes for myself, my own projects. I'll hire people to just do stuff for me that I've been meaning to do. But uh, I don't like the three-way thing. Mm-hmm. Can we wrap up with you uh, kind of letting people know how they can find out more about you? Um, the best place to get in touch with me is at jonathanstark.com. And if you want to learn more about um, how to do this in your business, you can specifically go to my uh, mentoring page, which is jonathanstark.com slash mentoring, where I sort of tell that backstory and and give you ideas about how you can uh, grow your business using these kind of techniques. Well, I'm really grateful that you took the time to, to talk about these things, Jonathan. Well, thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of the Consulting Pipeline Podcast. Thanks to my guest, Jonathan Stark. Again, you can find Jonathan online at jonathanstark.com, and he's actually just launched a new site specifically for his mentoring services at expensiveproblem.com. Again, that's expensiveproblem.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast at consultingpipelinepodcast.com. I'm Philip Morgan, and I hope to see you again next time.